with me please now in 2 Kings in chapter number 20. 2 Kings in chapter number 20. And we'll bring the message that the Lord has laid on our hearts for this morning. In verse number 1, the Bible said in those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and hath done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass, afore Isaiah was going out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, and I have seen thy tears, and behold, I will heal thee, and on the third day thou shalt go up unto the house of the Lord. And I will add unto thy days fifteen years, and I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for mine own sake, for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs, and they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. Amen. Our fathers, we bow before you this morning. We sure are grateful for the choir and the specials this morning, for the testimonies, how they've stirred our heart and our soul. Lord, I thank you for the scriptures and the word of God. Thank you how that you use the Bible to speak to our hearts and change our lives. Now, if there's one here this morning and needs to be saved, may they come without further delay and trust Christ as their Savior. I would ask you now that you bless your people, your church. Be the pastor this morning as he'll be standing to preach for Brother Fleur. God, give him your divine presence. Give him that holy unction. Give him, I pray, the power of God upon his life. May the touch of God be upon him. Lord, those that may be listening that are lost, help them to be saved. I pray that you'll encourage and discourage and may you be with us here today. Help us to honor you, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. As we considered the matter uh, of the uh, text that is before us this morning, and we consider the fact that the Lord has spoken through uh, his prophet, we have here in this particular text, in this passage of scripture, a God sending the man of God to tell Hezekiah that he only has a short time and he needs to set his house in order. As the Lord woke me up in the middle of the morning of April the 29th, I was not exactly sure what the Lord had in mind. For all I knew, the Lord may be getting ready to call me home. And that certainly could be the case even yet. But the Lord's allowed us to live up to this day from that point. But as I began to write, there were several things that uh, came to mind, to my heart and my soul. As I began to think, what if that was my last day? What are some things that I would want to be uh, accomplished? What are some things that I wanted to be uh, set in order uh, if it were my last day? And so I want to speak this morning on that subject matter if this were my last day. If this were my last day. Now notice in our text, if you would please, this morning, uh, the first thing I'd like to bring to our attention, and this comes from God himself. It's not something that Hezekiah uh, determined in his heart that he was going to uh, do. But notice the Bible says in verse number 1, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Now watch this. This is what God says to Hezekiah. Again, it's not what Hezekiah determines. But the Lord said through Isaiah, 
Thus saith the Lord. Now watch this. Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. As I consider this matter, uh, and it's a very simple text and thought this morning that I have for you, but if this were my last day, the first thing I would want to do is I would want to take care of God's business. I'd want to be sure my house was in order. As we consider this matter this morning, you may be sitting here under the sound of our voice and your house is not in order. You know, it's hands that build a house, but it's hearts that build a home. And there may be homes sitting under the sound of my voice this morning and you're on the brink of separation. You're on the brink of devastation and destruction in your home. Things are taking place behind closed doors that you never dreamed or thought would be possible when you walked the aisle or the altar that day and said, I do to each other and made that eternal commitment. May I say to you that a palace without affection is a poor abode. It's a poor place indeed. But a simple palace, as we heard even in Sunday school this morning from Brother Di, a simple place to live with the love of God, where there is affection, where there is truth, where there is a consciousness of each other. It is a rich abode indeed. Hezekiah was still uh, relatively young in his age, uh, but he desires to live for God. He wants more time. He prays and asks the Lord to give him 15 more years or to give him more time. God determined the years that it would give to him of being 15 more years. And the reality is that God will come to each and every one of us sitting under the sound of my voice and the Lord will say to us, you have but a moment to set your house in order. You may not know the day. You may not know the time. You may not know the place. You may not know the hour. You may not know the method this morning, but there will come a time when the God of heaven says, it's time, your time is up. Set your house in order. You only have a short time left. And so I ask you today, if this were your last day, would you be ready uh, to meet the Lord? Hezekiah woke up as with any day. He was expecting business to go on uh, just the way it had been the day before, the week before, the month before, the year before, the decade before. It was just another day on the calendar of Hezekiah. But yet God said, today I'm going to warn you that you need to set your house in order. Today I want you to get some things in your home taken care of. You know, the Bible says in Genesis in chapter number 18 and verse number 19 of Abraham, the Bible says, for I know him, speaking of Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him and they, gave, or they shall uh, keep the way of the Lord uh, to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And God trusted Abraham to raise a seed that God would make a covenant with, that he would raise his children to honor God and to be able to uh, use the, uh, under the mighty hand of God and, Lord, uh, make out of him a great nation. And I say to you today, there are those sitting under the sound of my voice, no doubt that we need to get our house set in order. And I'm not talking about just the finances. I'm not talking about our houses and homes and lands. I'm talking about our hearts before God, that we may be ready and willing to stand before him when God calls us. And so I ask you, if today were your last day on earth, would you be ready to meet him? 
Then I want to refer briefly this morning, not only in Abraham, and the Lord was willing to trust him with the promised seed, but we find that in the earlier days of America, America was built upon the Bible. In fact, in the early days of America, the home was a sanctuary. It was a place of worship. I remember many times as a young man, though my grandmother and my grandfather on my dad's side passed away when I was relatively young. I remember my grandmother singing, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wrench like me. I remember her singing, What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. I remember her in the kitchen while she was singing, uh, singing and she was cooking red-eye gravy and country ham and she was making some cathead biscuits. And you say, what is that? If you don't know, you're missing out on the greatest thing in life uh, since salvation. Somebody say amen right there. And she'll be singing the songs of Zion and thanking God for Calvary and for salvation. I remember my grandpa sitting on the porch of that home that had those asbestos shingles on the side of it. Boy, I'm reflecting on the old time now, Anna. And I remember him sitting on that little metal chair and humming and looking over the little church that was on the other side of his property and talking about the things of the Lord. You see, in the earlier days in America, the Bible was the centerpiece of our home and our family. The father served as the priest of the household and guided his family in spiritual matters. There was no hypocrisy to speak of in the homes. And I know that everyone fails the Lord. I'm not saying they were perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But they were trying to serve as the priest, as a spiritual leader of the home and of the family. God, give us a day in America again where the fathers were the priests and the leaders of our homes and our families in the day and age in which we live. An open Bible was the source book of our uh, uh, convictions and standards and how we were to live. The Bible was our textbook for education. The Bible was a foundation for our establishment and our convictions as government and law. The Bible, we didn't vote based upon necessarily Democrat or Republican or, or whatever be the case. Independence didn't even exist in the earlier days. But rather looked at those that would line up with the Bible, the Word of God. And those were the ones that we wanted to put into office in America. How would the God in America would get back to that? that would put God-fearing people in our government institutions, in our state, and in our federal government to turn our nation back to Almighty God. And I know that we'll give a hearty amen right there, but I say to you, my friend, that it's only going to start when the Bible is the center theme of our homes and our families and we stand upon the Bible. I have with me today... A little blue book, spell, blue back speller. My dad had mentioned him many years when he was a young man that they used this in their classes in the secular school. In fact, back when he was a young man, uh, Christian schools didn't actually even exist. In fact, in the public schools, there was more Bible than there is in many even Christian schools today. And I want to read a few quotes. He mentioned it several times, and I said to him, Dad, I'd sure like to have one of them because I'd looked and couldn't find one. And he got me this one. I don't know if that was his or not, Brother Sam, but it's kind of uh, worn and torn and tattered and have to be tender with it. 
But I want to read just a few quotes out of it this morning. I'm talking about the Bible was the centerpiece of our homes, our family, and our education in the earlier days in America. And this one in the blue black speller comes from page number 29. And this is one of the quotes that it has at the top of it, and it simply says this. It said, good men obey the laws of God. Well, I'd say that ought to be good to be taught in our public schools today. Somebody say amen right there. Then it goes on to say this. God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and all that was made was very good, and God will destroy the wicked. Somebody say amen. Can you imagine that being taught in our secular schools or public schools of today? I'm talking about we need as a nation, as an individual, to be prepared to meet God if this were our last day. Here on page number 69, it says this, God governs the world in infinite wisdom. The Bible teaches us that it is our duty to worship him. It is a solemn thing if we die and we will stand and appear before the judgment of God. Be good to have that instituted back into our schools and into our government and into our nation. I'm talking about being prepared to meet God. And as individuals today, we're really not prepared as we think we are sometimes. And as a nation, we're certainly not prepared to stand before God and give an account of those things that we have allowed in our generation. On page number 79, it says this. Before you rise in the morning or retire at night, you should give thanks to God for his mercies and implore the continuance of his protection and grace. And then on page number 85, I'll not bore you with a lot of these, but notice he said drunkards are worthless fellows and despised. Boy, that wouldn't go over in our politics today, would it? If they did that, half of Congress and the Senate would be arrested and thrown in jail for DUI and all the rest of it. And that was in our public schools in the Blue Book Speller. You say, what did that have to do with spelling? Oh, there's a lot in here to do with spelling, but they wanted to squeeze as much Bible in it as they could and teach us and our generation to fear God and to serve him and to do right so that when we do die, we're prepared to meet Almighty God. Then if I may read another final quote this morning. You might as well say, man, I'm going to. It's on page 115. And it says this, two quotes. The heathen are those people who worship idols or who know not the true God. Those who enjoy the light of the gospel and neglect. Can you imagine in a public school a teacher teaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ? the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, preparing our, the young people to meet God and to stand before him when the last day comes from this walk of life. And then notice what he finishes by saying. Serve its precepts, speaking of the Bible and the gospel, and are more, speaking of those that are without the gospel and rejected, that are more uh, criminal or more heathen than the criminal. And that was taught in our nation. I want to be sure if this was my last day that I was prepared to meet God, that my house was in order. And then secondly, this morning and quickly, I'd want to be sure that my family was saved. You see in Acts chapter number 16, verses 31 through 34, and I'll not read it all for the sake of time this morning, but we find that Paul and Silas was in jail or in prison, and of course the jailhouse began to rock and reel on that night, and the Bible said that they supposed, the officers, the jailer, supposed that everyone had been fled. And the Bible said that 
He pulled out his sword and would have killed himself. And Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Sir, do thyself no harm for all here. And that night the Bible said that that jailer in charge of those two prisoners, those two missionaries that had been thrown in prison for preaching the gospel of Christ, that he took him to his home and his family and he took care of his stripes and his wounds where they had been beaten uh, for the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that night, no They spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And they took him in the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. And when they had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Thank God this man, his entire house was saved. They were converted to Christ. They come to know him as their personal Savior, received him into their heart and followed the Lord and believers' baptism. And I'd say to you, if it was my last day on earth, I'd want to be sure as many of my family members were saved as is possible. I'd want to be sure that the eyes that used to wet the altar and stain the couch and the side of the bed and the sheets with my tears where I had prayed for loved ones without Christ. I'd want to be sure that those stains were still there, that my heart had not grown cold, that my heart had not become distant, that my heart had not become callous. I'd want to be sure that I'd witnessed to them and told them about Christ, brought them to church, and let them sit under the sound of the gospel so that they might be saved and give their life to Christ. Amen. Don't ever give up on your family. If it was my last day, I'd want to be sure that my family was saved yes. by the marvelous grace of God. Amen. I'd do whatever it took to get them to Jesus. In Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 23, and I'm not going to read it all this morning for the sake of time, but we find one, Jairus or Jairus, that uh, had a daughter that was dying of a plague, and he come to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible said he was a ruler in the synagogue, and he found the Lord, and he came and, and told him the story, and Jesus begins to follow him. His daughter is nigh unto death. She's sick and dying. And on the way, there is a woman that comes up. She's had a, a blood issue for 12 years. And in her mind, she's thinking to herself, if I could just reach out, I don't have to touch him. If I could just touch the hem of his garments or his clothing, I could be healed. And she's thrown through the crowd. And all of a sudden, she reaches out. And her fingertips brush the garment of Christ. And the Bible said the virtue went out of him. And he knew immediately that something had happened. Right. And he stopped and turned to the lady. And she is made whole. And here it is, a lady that has been in bondage to her plague for 12 years. She's sick. She's dying. She's in miserable uh, condition. She's been lonely and without help and without hope. And now all of a sudden, because she touched the hem of his garments, uh, she's received healing. But just as this has happened, can you imagine, Jairus, now that Jesus is on his way to the home and the family uh, to try to heal his daughter? And it's, he's desperate. He's uh, trying to get Jesus to his home. And all of a sudden, this lady shows up. And she interrupts the procession. And everything stops for a little while. And now while this lady is healed, news comes on the scene. A servant comes running from the home and says to Jairus, I have sad news for you. Your daughter has died. She's passed away now. And she's slipped out into eternity. And we find now that uh, Jesus, he doesn't turn back. 
Jairus keeps pressing forward. You know why? He wants to get Jesus to his home. He knows if he can just get Christ, the Savior, to his home, things will be different in the house from that day forward. They press on. They get to the home, and they walk in, and there's already professional mourners there by the time they get there, uh, even as they were in biblical times in many uh, countries today, in the Philippines and other areas, they have professional uh, mourners that will come in, and they mourn and make weeks of procession out of funerals and so forth. And they'd already showed up. The professional mourners had already showed up at the house of Jairus. Jesus comes in and he says to him, she's not dead, she sleeps. And the Bible said they laughed at him. They laughed him to scorn. saying he's she's not sleeping, she's dead. And so they sent him out of the room. And Jesus speaks to her, and she comes to life. And then he says to her, I get her some food. She must have been a Baptist when she passed away. He's, he's worried about her getting some food. And they brought her some food, and she ate. I'm just simply saying to you, when Jairus got her to his home, things were different. Things were different. And when Christ comes into the home, and the family is saved by the grace of God, things will be different. Things will be different. I remember when Randy got saved after making a false profession of faith on numerous occasions and he got saved and I have no question about his salvation. You say, why? He was a good boy before, but when he got saved, he got even better. Amen. I remember when our daughter Victoria made a profession of faith and was saved and put her faith and trust in Christ and the things. And she was a great daughter. She was a good daughter. But when she got saved, she was a lot better daughter. And God has used them. And I'm saying to you, and as we pray for our little grandchildren, our little Maggie, uh, she's six years old. She got saved a few months back. And now little Molly, she's only four years old. And every time Maggie prays, she says, Now, Lord, help Molly to ask you under her heart one of these days. Help her to ask you. And she prays it dozens of times a day. And ask the Lord to save her little sister. Amen. I'd say I'd want to thirdly say that I want to be ready to meet God. If the time came and today was my last day, I'd want to know that I'm ready to stand before God as a Christian. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, it says, It's appointed unto man once to die, but after this a judgment. And we're going to stand before God one day, and we're going to give an account of all of our deeds, of all of our thoughts, of all of our actions. We'll stand before him. And you know, we've not all been perfect every time, all the time. We've all made bad decisions, whether it's parental decisions, or whether it's spousal decisions, whether it's a job decision, or whatever it may be, we've, none of us have a perfect track record this morning. Somebody say amen. Ladies, there's your opportunity to say amen right there. None of us men have a perfect track record. And the lady said, oh, that was okay. Now, I would ask the men, but I don't want them coming back with a black eye tonight to the service. None of us have a perfect track record. All of us have made mistakes. All of us have, to some degree, regrets. And if we had it to do over again, we have those do-over times or moments that we'd like to reclaim. And I say to you, my friend, when we stand before him, I'd want to be sure that I had no unconfessed sin in my life. I mentioned during the Jubilee about secret sins. And the reason I mention that, there are uh, many multitudes, there are thousands of Christians in our generation that have secret sins. There are sins they think nobody else knows about. 
They think they can be, hide them on social media. They think they can hide them on the internet. They think they can hide them on the TV channels. But I want to say to you today that there's a God in heaven who keeps sacred records. And there's a God in heaven who knows our secret sins. He knows our thoughts. He knows our deeds. He knows our actions. And he knows before we ever even act upon them. There's a God in heaven who knows our unconfessed sin. That's right. I'd want to be sure that my unconfessed sin was right with him confessed. I'd want to be sure there was no unfinished business. I'd want to be sure that all of my commitments and all of my uh, word was followed through. I'd want to be sure that I had done my business in a Christian method and a Christian means. I'd want to be sure that there was no unprofitable actions in my life. I'd want to be sure that there were no ungodliness or unbelief, disbelief in my heart and life. I'd want to be sure that I'd followed through on these things and for the Lord. And then fourthly, this morning, I'd want to be sure that my character and integrity was intact if this was my last day. You see, the Bible says in 2 Kings and 20 and verse number 3, Hezekiah must have had a good testimony. He must have had some character about his leadership because in verse number 3, he said, I beseech thee, O Lord, now, remember, he's talking to God. He's not talking to Isaiah. He's not speaking to another man. But he turns to the Lord. As he turns against the wall, he says, Oh, Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And so Hezekiah turns his back to the prophet. He turns toward the wall and he says, Lord, you remember I've served you with a perfect heart. Remember, Lord, my testimony. God, remember all my deeds and actions. Right. And Lord, I ask you to remember these. God, don't forget them. Yeah. Amen. Amen, preacher. And God said, Hezekiah, I heard your tears. I heard you cry. I saw your tears. Remember that when we fell, God, thank God for 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If this were my last day, I'd want to be sure I had my testimony, integrity, and character intact. I'd want to be sure that if it were my last day in my Family and friends and those with our ministry, our missionaries and you of the church and others would walk by the casket and I'd hope that they would, there would be those words. He was a man of integrity and character. I wouldn't want anyone walking by my casket and saying he was a sorry low down good for nothing. He wasn't good for his word. He was a scoundrel, a cheat. A connive, he was a Jacob. And want a good testimony for the glory of God. Yes. Reminded of the story I heard of a little boy that was talking to his dad, and he said, Dad, when you were a young man, did Grandpa take you to church? His dad piped up with pride, and he said, he sure did. He said, we went to church all the time. We never missed the service when we went to church with Grandpa, and he was proud that he had attended the church. And then his little boy responded. He said, I, I hope it helps me because it didn't seem to help you.
here in Sunday school, a teacher asked her, young boy in the first grade, if anyone could describe what a Christian was. The little boy quickly raised his hand, and he said, I know, I know. And the teacher asked him to give his statement. He said, Christians are nice people who never complain, argue, or talk back. And then he paused for a moment and added, he said, my mommy, uh, she's a good Christian, but my daddy isn't. If it were my last day, I'd want my integrity intact. I'd want to know that I was a man of my word, that I was a man of consistency. I'd want to know that I was a man of God. I'd want to know that I was a man of faith and godliness, a man of kindness and gentleness, a man of the Bible. I'd want to be known as a man of commitment and a man of holiness if this were my last day. Then last but not least, and probably as important as any of the above, if this were my last day, Brother Lyons, I'd want to know, I left it all on the field. And that's a term that is used in many sports. I leave it all on the field. You say, is there anyone in the Bible who left it all on the field and gave it all they got? There is. It's found in 2 Timothy in chapter number 4 and verse number 8. For Paul said to young Timothy, for I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. You know what Paul is saying to young Timothy? Timothy, my time's at hand. God's getting ready to call me home. It was right before, uh, while Paul was in a, a jail, a maritime prison, and all of a sudden he heard the pitter-patter and the footsteps of those Roman soldiers coming down uh, the corridor to his cell. They stop at Paul's cell, open the door, Saul of Tarsus! Paul responds with, yes, that's me. Saul, the day of your execution is at hand. Follow me. Paul, with a ratted, tattered, torn body that has been beaten 195 stripes for the testimony of Christ, has been in shipwreck, has been in hunger and thirst and fastings oft, follows that Roman soldier in his frail body. Stop at the guillotine that will take his life. Saul, do you have any last words or testament? Paul says, I do. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. And I've kept the faith. And I'm looking forward to my reward. You see, death will find all of us with full calendars and schedules doctor's appointments they'll find you ladies with hair appointments and nail appointments and all the other pedicures and things that you enjoy death 
Smith will find the preacher with his schedule full for the next year, two years, three years, or maybe five years or more. Someday, Mrs. Ellis will have to call our pastors and churches and, and those that are hosting conferences and meetings and missions conferences. And she'll have to say, I'm sorry, but Brother Ellis won't be able to be with you this year. He's in heaven now. Someday our grandchildren will come to our home. Our grandpa won't be there anymore. Someday our children will call. They'll be reminded dad's not here anymore. My mom was in our my study. We moved out and moved her in when she was on hospice. And she was in my study. And now every time I walk through that door, I think of my mother. But she's not there now. Thank God her sufferings are gone, her trials are gone. Today was my last day. I'd want to leave it all on the field. You can come to the instruments. I'm getting ready to close. But I'd want our missionaries as they walk by the casket to say, you know, he wasn't perfect. But he did right in the eyes of God. I'd want to be able to Above all of that testimony and character and integrity that I'd hoped that I would have by my peers and others and family, the greatest desire I have is to stand before the Lord and have him look down upon me and say, Well done, thou good and thou faithful servant. If this were my last day, I'd want to hear those words from my blessed Lord. William Carey said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Have you left it on the field? Kenny Kuykendall said this, small-minded thinking results in small, small vision. Embrace the bigness of God and attempt something that's so large that once it's finished, only God can get the credit and the glory. If today was my last day, I want to have known that I left everything on the field, that I gave it all I had, and I never half stepped the will of God. You're here today and you haven't been saved. You're not ready to meet God, and you're not ready for death. You may think you are, but it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Why don't we seek him today? Let's lay it all on the altar. Because today might be.